0: My name is Maria Kent-Beers, and my co-host Rachel Martinez and I are pleased to present Remember Me. This podcast is dedicated to preserving the memories of those diagnosed with FTD. We hope this episode leaves you feeling more connected, provides a deeper understanding, and allows you to learn to accept the good. Always, always accept the good. This is Remember Me. This month, we've partnered with the Association for Frontal Temporal Degeneration, the AFTD, on its 10th annual With Love campaign. This campaign is all centered around Valentine's Day, and it's an opportunity to honor or remember a loved one affected by FTD. This month-long fundraiser aims to raise FTD awareness and funds for the AFTD's mission, all while telling stories with love. This first story in our four-part series with the AFTD is one that is very special to me. It is told by my Aunt Sophia and it's all about her journey with my mom and it's just a really beautiful story about sisters and the beautiful friendship and love between them. One of my favorite people in the whole world is here, my aunt Sophia, who is fondly known as Pia. Pia is my mom's sister and only sibling, and she's here today to give our first sibling perspective of this disease. So welcome, Pia. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. And
1: I just can't say enough about how much I love the Remember Me podcast and how proud I am of both of you with this forum. And it's just an honor and privilege to be here and tell the story of of
0: my sissy, your mom. As you know, we just jump right into the story from your perspective. What was that first moment or interaction where you said, wait a minute, something's not quite right with my sis?
1: You know, that's a great question. And it, it really is a difficult one to answer. But first of all, we live several states apart. So most of our communication was over the phone and by email, mostly on the phone. We talked on the phone all the time, at least once a day, if not more than that. And that communication started to really slow down as early as before your wedding. I remember your mom just was a lot more, um, she, it was it was as though she wasn't as interested in having that those deep connections and, and conversations as we had our whole entire life. And sometimes we just explain things away and think, well, someone's going through a phase or Are they upset about something or what have you. But even as early as when we came out for your wedding, Maria. I remember we pulled up to the driveway and we had all come, the whole family, including your cousin, Joey, his uh, fiance, Camry, and your mom had never met Camry in person. And Camry had been a part of our family for many years. And of course she knew how much we all loved her. And I was ex- expecting your mom to come out and as she normally would and throw her arms around her and say, Oh, I am so happy to meet you because that is the kind of person your mother was just as most loving and caring and welcoming person. And I remember we walked up in the driveway and your mom had come out and she was very upset about something. I think it had to do with the, the program for your wedding. And there was something in the program that she was very unhappy about. And it seemed very unreasonable for her to be that upset over something that small and completely ignored the fact that we had just flown in from Nebraska, Nebraska, did not say anything to Camry and just literally walked right by her. And I'll never forget that moment because I thought, what in the world? I mean, that is just so, so... Unlike anything your mom would do. And then, you know, it was always in the back of my mind. And it was just such a slow thing, a slow realization. And and honestly, I took a lot of it personally, I felt, you know, is Leah just drifting away from me, she doesn't share as much. And it was just very slow, a slow and gradual thing. And and as you know, your grandmother, my leonized mother, lives with me. And so she was having a lot of those same feelings and was upset about it all of the time. And that was kind of a burden on me. She was just always saying all of these things that, you know, your sister doesn't communicate like she used to and she's affronting me and all of that kind of thing. So that went on really just for months and months and months. And then when we came out for Richard's wedding a year later, and then when you all came out for Joey and Camry, um, these are all cousins for the listeners, um, getting married, she just was more and more distant. and, And I just... I didn't know what to think. I really didn't. And I thought about all kinds of things, probably everything under the sun, except what actually was wrong, which I had Mm -hmm. no idea even existed. So, so that was kind of the slow progression. And then finally, after she was diagnosed, but we didn't know, wasn't it in November on your dad's birthday, Mm -hmm. she had not wanted to tell the family except we knew by that time she was having physical symptoms whenever we would talk on the phone she would slur her speech and then she would repeat herself over and over again and i just thought what is happening what you know is this a mental illness issue i is she on medicines that i don't know about that are making her you know act this way but you just we couldn't hide it anymore and i remember it was it was the day after christmas I went out shopping after Christmas shopping and your mom called me and I remember right where I was standing and I even bought this pair of pajamas that was on sale and the the word wish is on the front of the, of the pajamas and I know that sounds like an odd thing to remember but I still, I wear those pajamas all the time because it just, it was that moment and even though the word wish is kind of not applying because it was such a sad moment, but In any event, so when your mom called me, I'm standing in the middle of the store and she's slurring so much that I could barely understand what she was saying. And she was saying, I have aphasia. And she was, but when she was saying it, I and I said, Amalia, what what is that? What does that mean? I don't understand. And she couldn't even really pronounce it very well. And then she had also been talking to uh, your grandmother and had been slurring and this had been a few days and she was so upset. So finally I got home that day. I called your dad and he was out driving. And I said, Gary, you've got to tell me what is going on with Amalia. I said, I know, I said, I know something is wrong. She said something about having aphasia and he said, Oh, she told you. And I said, yes, this is what she said. What does that mean? And then he went on to explain to me, what her diagnosis had been. And I remember him saying she has this disease and I don't remember if he said FTD or aphasia or what it was. And he said, there's no treatment and no cure. I'll never forget that. And he's, he he also said, and I cried for a week. So, and you and you and I know your dad, he is not a crier. (laughs) He's a big teddy bear on the inside, but very strong exterior and i knew then that it
2: was bad so that that's how you found out huh standing in the middle of a department store
1: standing in the middle of a clothing store with this pair of pajamas that (laughs) say wish on the front um that were really marked down on sale and oh um, oh,
2: good oh good they were
1: oh gosh (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> I, I have to because laugh
1: because I'm I, crying.
0: Because
1: you know your mom and I are the ultimate bargain shop.
0: Oh, yeah. You taught I me
2: everything stuff. I know. So. so when you sort of notice, like, okay, something's different. She's pulling away. She, you know, she's not as reachable to me. Did you ever ask her, like, what's going on with you? Are you mad at me? What's you know what? I really – I did. I did, mm-hmm. in fact. And I'll tell you another, another
1: situation – where i just knew there was something really really different about about my sister and in so far as you know we we literally were inseparable from the time i was born all the way through we 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 were a year and a half apart we went to school together just one year behind each other we went to the same college we joined the same sorority and really we're just, we were inseparable. We talked every single day, sometimes two to three times a day until we each married and, you know, she moved away and had her kids and I had my kids. And then of course our whole entire life was talking about our kids every Mm -hmm. single day. And so we shared everything. And, and so one of the things about Amalia that anyone who knows her is just her love For children and concerned and just loved her all of her nieces and nephews, just as though they they were her own. And so my son uh, had developed Crohn's disease when he was 15. And a couple of years later, he had to have surgery. And this was around the time that I was noticing Amalia kind of pulling away and not really talking to me as much or as often. And I remember I was in the hospital and my son had Terrible complications from his surgery. I mean, he was really sick, and I was terrified. I mean, we didn't know if he was going to pull through it. And of course, normally in my entire life, the very first person I would go to would be my sister, not necessarily our mom. Our mom is a little bit, she doesn't handle stressful situations very well and she gets super super upset which makes it worse so normally lee and i would go to each other because we knew that we would be each other's rock and i remember calling her and letting her know and she just seemed indifferent she wasn't the nor normal big sis i would say he's gonna be fine how is he and then calling calling me every you know or texting me every five seconds and and i just thought it was just it was heartbreaking for me I felt as though, you know, doesn't she care or understand? And I remember reaching out and that's a, a great question. I don't know to the degree, but I know that the that those last few months leading up to that December 26th phone call, I did text her a few times and I was challenging her about different things because the way she was even communicating on text was very odd and it was very dismissive. And and I would say, why are you being this way? And then she would say to me, why are you so mean over text? <laughs> you know, I remember she wrote me that and I'm like, I'm not being mean. I just am trying to understand <laughs> what's going on. And it, it, I took it so personally, which in looking back now, of course, the last thing in, in, in my mind was that she had this dreadful, horrible neurological disease that I didn't know about. Mm-hmm. That affected her ability to both communicate and to ha- and to ha- relate, and who would have ever imagined that? And so, so yes, I I know I did reach out a few times, but the answers were never really satisfactory until, mm-hmm. of course, we found out the truth.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So. I have some questions. I remember that she couldn't speak Greek anymore, and wasn't was mm-hmm. that was her first language? Mm-hmm right? So is that something that Yaya had picked up on? Like she's not speaking Greek properly? Absolutely. She used to
1: say this all the time. She would say, your sister, she's forgotten all of her Greek. And she would say that over and over again. And I just, I didn't know what to make of that either. But yes, that is in fact, and it's very fascinating that you would bring that up because I did not really recall that because she and I always spoke in English to each other. So that wasn't something that I would have noticed, but I do remember your grandmother saying that.
0: Yeah. So the reason I bring it up is because when I was trying to sort through what I thought it was before we had an answer, that was one of the things pointing me to I don't think this is a mental health issue. Because in many of our interviews and in my mom's case, that was one of our initial thoughts was, do we need to get on some sort of a medication? Is she upset because her kids are all leaving the nest as a midlife crisis? But once I noticed that she had lost her Greek, I don't know. It just something kind of clicked for me that I thought it was something neurologically wrong. But I kind of feel like, and I don't know if, if if you agree with me, I feel like by the time we had answers, we couldn't really talk to her anymore. Yeah.
1: And, and that is, that's one of the saddest things for me is that this went on so long and it got in the way if I had known, and I always felt as though if I had known that my sister was sick, I would have just been pursuing constant communication with her and who would have known. And then by the time she did have that diagnosis, I do recall that it went pretty quickly. Her, her ability to communicate by that time, really by the spring, when your father, God bless him, he brought your mom out to Nebraska to spend time with all of us. And by that time, she really, w- she was still speaking, but not very much, she couldn't really hold a proper conversation in the way that it was back and forth. But she wasn't texting at that point. Uh, that went really quick. It seems to me her ability to communicate in writing just—I don't know if that's what you recall, Maria, but
0: I—yeah—that was just one one-word mm-hmm. answer text or right, not even and a that complete was, word.
1: Exactly. And in fact, when I had called your dad, I had called him actually before the day that she told me I have aphasia, please pray for me. I had actually reached out to him prior to that and he did not really tell me what was going on. The one thing, because she did not want us to know about it and didn't want your grandmother to know. And he was respecting her wishes of privacy, but I was kind of pressing your dad a little bit. And I said, I got these weird texts from, from Leah, what is going on? And he had said, can you send them to me? So I would, I forwarded him some of the things she had been saying and that it didn't make sense. And then he said, "Just whatever you do, don't give up on her." So I, I remember that very distinctly. But yes, by the time that December came and went and she came in the spring, it had and and she was also starting the behavioral variant, right, right. Of the disease was was showing itself as far as her, reverting to child or teenage-like behavior, constantly asking to go to the store, wanting to buy random type of merchandise. But from the time she was diagnosed and forward, she was always just positive and happy and smiling. And um, that was the other thing about this disease that I've just always wondered is to what degree did she even understand that last time that we talked, where she was trying to struggle to and slur to get these words out, saying "Please pray for me," I, I, I have this aphasia. So she quite clearly knew there was something wrong and was asking for prayers. But after that, and throughout the last several years, even when she couldn't speak at all, she still would smile and touch your face and put her foot up on my leg and and laugh at you know and. Anytime she saw your Uncle Joe, my husband Joe, for the listeners, she always thought he was really funny. And literally all he had to do was talk to her on FaceTime and she would start laughing and try to touch his face through the screen. So so the long answer to your question, yes, it did seem to kind of go pretty rapidly.
0: That's what I remember as well. So
2: I think part of what I experienced and I know other people have too is um when you have somebody who has such a it's a neurological disease you're never sure like what's coming like are you gonna freak out are you gonna shoplift are you gonna cry were you ever uncomfortable around her
1: So uncomfortable wouldn't be the word I would use to describe it, but very scared and anxious would would be the word. For example, because Gary subsequently brought Leah out again a second time after the disease had progressed further, and she was still capable of getting up and walking around. And oh my goodness, she would just leave the house. And I call, I jokingly called her Wandering Sue and she would laugh. I'm like, Wandering Sue, where are you going? Because I was scared to death. I was going to lose her in the store or she was going to walk out of our house and be, be lost. And, and we wouldn't be, and she, she really couldn't communicate at that point to tell someone who she was and whatnot. So that would be, for me, it was that feeling of fear and, um, and anxiety And I also felt that from across the miles, because I know that there were several incidents with poor Gary and the family where, you know, when she was losing that ability to communicate and, but she still was physically strong. She could even, she even got out in the car, right, Maria? Out of a moving
0: vehicle. (laughs) She wandered miles down the road with no sidewalks going down to Whole Foods. And, you know, if someone stopped her, she wouldn't have been able to say even her name. It was exactly. really scary. I would say the prevalent feeling
1: was that fear and that anxiety, even from across the miles, as I denoted, because she's my sister. And I just love her so much. And I knew I could do absolutely nothing to be there to help, which was also, it's just a very helpless feeling to be that far apart. And you know, that you don't know what to expect and how, as you said, Rachel, how things are going to manifest. Mm -hmm. But I knew that she had such love and care, of course. With your dad and all of you, I didn't worry in that sense. And mm-hmm. I thank God every second, knowing that she was being cared for. But then even it's it's like a little kid where you, you can take your eyes off them for one second. And all of a sudden, and when you have a grown adult that is doing that, it's just that feeling of just the fear and is something going to happen? So that was really the prevalent emotion I had. In those years, until until it got to the point where she really wasn't very mobile at all. And then it was a whole other layer upon layer
2: of grief of seeing her slowly, physically decline. So how did you find yourself coping with your grief?
1: Oh, primarily talking to Maria every single day. You know, that was my lifeline to my sister and Maria was so gracious with her time to continually, not just keep me posted, but just to keep me connected, I guess, just to know and to share that grief and that worry and to talk through all of the different changes and what was happening. I would say that is what was my, my rock and strength. And I'm very blessed with a, with a spouse who just not only Loves Leah and Gary and all of you very deeply, but he's my rock as well. And if I ever, I, I didn't grieve publicly for a really long time because and, and to and in front of my sister's family because I felt that I really needed to be strong. But when I needed to grieve that, you know, it was either alone or on my husband's shoulder.
0: It was, uh, you know, a comfort and strength for me to be able to have you and have Uncle Joe. And the other thing, too, is like you said, you and my mom are like the same. You're like twinsies. You have your four kids. You read all the parenting books together. You always took the care of each thing other. The only thing that
1: was a, the only blip was she had girl, boy, then girl, girl. And then I did, had girl, boy, girl, boy. that was it the only difference in our twinning so
0: so for me it was a comfort not only to have like you know my aunt and someone I've been close to my whole life but also to kind of like have a piece of my mom too because you know my mom's personality wasn't shining through she couldn't communicate so I was like kind of and I still do kind of like get that from my pia, but I think you know we all could tell that you were really just trying to support us and be there for us and you know be there for my dad. But I really want to know what this was like for you as a sister and and your feelings and you know are you still sorting that out?
1: Well, I would have to admit that in my selfish moments. I feel very cheated from not just my only sibling and sister, but my very best friend. And the loss of being able to communicate with her is a gigantic hole in my heart and soul because I just never knew life without that. And that is a hole that will never be filled Part of what happened when your mom became ill was your grandmother not understanding what was happening. And she was so upset all the time. And I had so much focus on that, that it really, I feel as though I was robbed of some time. And then, in addition to that, from the time that your mom was diagnosed, and it was four very long years. I in knowing and understanding the disease at that point I wanted to just cherish every second and every moment that I could have and of course it's difficult when you're far away and I I would think for example if I had a sibling and my best friend who was suffering from cancer we'd still be on the phone every day three times a day talking to each other cheering each other up praying together and and it's just I can't really describe the amount of loss. And it was different when she was living. And now it's, I don't know. I feel, I feel some anger. (laughs) So I've really been robbed. I I don't know. That doesn't sound very good. But it's real. You're challenging me. You're challenging me because I really not put voice to these feelings sometimes I really just want to start screaming my bloody head off and being really, 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 really angry
2: about it. Your perspective is really interesting. Cause we have a lot of kids on with parents that have FTD, but As a, so you're sort of like this, you're like the bologna in the sandwich, right? So you have your mom on one side and then your sister on the other, and you're trying to kind of manage like, okay, you need some mayo and you need some mayo and you need some mustard and you need some (laughs) mustard.
1: Yes. (laughs) One of the things that happened that was very upsetting to me is that from the time we told my mom, our mom, that Leah was sick all the way until last for and since then. She has been, and I don't blame her, it's her daughter, just so upset to the degree of what I tell people. It's like having a funeral every day. And I was not happy all of the time that we had our Leah and we were so blessed to have her with us. And for the most part, she was not really didn't suffer a lot, especially those first few years. She was content. She was with her family. And it upset me that our mom was already acting as though she had passed away. And that is not how I felt at all. I mean, I really wasn't even ready to accept her passing away up until the very end. But if you think about it, There are so many people out there that have illnesses and they have disabilities and they shouldn't be treated differently because of that. Mm -hmm. You know, don't try to take my sister away from me before she's gone Mm -hmm. or don't act like she's gone because she's alive and she's smiling and she's with her family and I'm going to go see her and she's going to put her, you know, foot on my lap and I'll rub her feet and... Make her smile. I mean, I just. You were trying to accept the good and she was not. I was trying to accept the good and then at the same time help her. It just made it, it it made a hard, grueling situation a lot more difficult to deal with. And so this is true confessions. I mean, I feel like I'm being whiny and (laughs) like, no, no. What about me? What about? So that's something your mom for levity so we had so many different sayings and things but every once in a while we'd be yeah we'd always come complain about all of our whatever our complaints were about the world to each other and we used to always end it with what about me what about me what about me <laughs> we used to always say that you know and we'd like march
2: around the world what about me
0: this is the space <laughs> that's, that's exactly how I
2: feel Maria don't you feel like that when <laughs> you've had least, like a- we <laughs> say
0: know? we say that to each other
2: as moms were like what about me what about me what about I, me i birthed two kids and they're still complaining like uh, hello uh, just a little
0: background for our listeners could you just kind of like describe yaya you know she's 90 something we're not even sure her exact age <laughs> your papo you know who who passed away i think it's been 25
1: years ago he and your grandmother the famous Yaya, they kind of married at a later age, especially for their generation. And um, He was, I believe, 42. And then he used to say, he's like, yeah, you know, I went to Greece and um, I went out drinking with a bunch of my buddies and woke up engaged to your mother. And then he'd also used to say, yeah, you know, when I married your mother was older than her. Now we're about the same age. So <laughs> I never understood what that meant. But it was because like he think there's some weirdness about like her saying she was younger than she really was, but okay. then I figured out like how old she is. So, so what's on the record now? And based on the ages of her siblings, we figured out she's <laughs> she's 91. So, but she's a spitfire of a 91-year-old. So yeah, she's just a very strong-minded
2: uh Greek yaya. Yeah, yeah. To wrap up the sad part of the journey. What's one thing you would want our listeners to know from a sibling perspective? So, well, if you think about it, my whole entire
1: life, Leah was in it. There's just, there's nothing like the bond of a sister. I don't know life without my sister in it. And She was the go-to. She was my go-to for everything. And I was that for her as well. I have some guilt. I would have to admit now that you're getting me, you're challenging me to think about this, um, Rachel, as far as the sibling perspective, but I feel like, you know, I get to be with my grandson and I get to be with my husband and I, I'm not sick, you know, and it makes me feel guilty that my sister, who was like a twin, she didn't get to have all of that and to grow old and retire with your dad, Maria. And it—it it just, I'll admit, it just makes me feel a little bit guilty anytime I start to get excited about, you know, taking that trip to Greece with um, with Uncle Joe. I feel I feel guilty about it because you know she didn't get to have that, and she'd probably be really mad at me right now. Thinking all of that. Um, She'd be telling me snap out of it. She used to always say snap out of it.
2: Tell me that. It's very beautifully said. And it's all so normal. Survivor's guilt is part of it. It's part of the grief process too.
0: Pia, there's something that you've shared with me about grief that I think our listeners will really relate to. Can you just share that quickly?
1: I think it's a good
0: point about grief. I think Rachel will appreciate it too.
1: So the story about when your grandfather passed away, he was the first person in my life who was a significant person in my life who passed away. And we were at the viewing and I remember, well, two things I remember. One is I had to go out and buy stockings to wear for the funeral. And I went into this department store. And of course, I'm in shock and I'm you're just kind of floating along. You don't even hardly sense anything that's going on around you. But I remember walking in and I'm picking out these stockings and all these people were just chatting about stupid stuff and blah 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 blah, or giggling or laughing. And I wanted to stand there and go do you know that my father just died? Like, why, why? are you all acting like there's nothing wrong in the world because my father just died? I mean, I really, I had to stop myself. I was so mad. I was just like, "Why are you people?" And 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 so it was a, it was very weird. It was a very weird thing. And then, so that's kind of a precursor. So then we go to the viewing, and I'm standing there, and all these people are coming through, and hugging me and saying. I'm sorry for your loss, but your father's in a better place and he's not suffering anymore. And they were saying all of these consoling things. And I remember just saying, yeah, you know, I believe that. But again, my father just died, like, don't try to, you know. And my cousin, who also had lost her father, comes in and gives me a hug. And she says three words in my ear. It's the pits. And I remember I looked at her and I said, and that's the only time I, I finally cried. I said, yeah, it's the pits, period. And um, so I guess the moral of that is, and now anytime I ever go to a funeral, I will hug the person that I'm there to to be there for. And I say those same three words and i usually get the same reaction because really you just want someone to tell you this is really awful
2: and i get it agree yeah. yeah, and it you told that to me oh i did okay cuz it's I- poignant nobody wants to be like you're right heaven is better no you're supposed to be here right
1: i know your mom is with god i, I know that a hundred percent, a hundred zillion percent. It doesn't take away that hurt though. It doesn't take away really the shock of it. It's just at that moment. And when you're going through that, you just want someone to say, this is really, this, this is the pits. I mean, if you think about, you know, accept the good as your motto is, if there's anything good that can come out of people like you and I, and all of us who have endured such grief, at least we know how to be there for other people who've gone through the same thing. And that's that same suffering. We're a little bit
0: better at it. No, it's it's very true. I think, I think my dad said something similar once, like, I am more compassionate towards people
2: than I've ever been now in my life. Um, Well, yeah.
1: And that's, that's, yeah, that's very true. And he is, he is pretty amazing.
2: So we've heard from your perspective, sort of what it was like to watch your sister going through this awful disease. Can you tell us about her before? What was she like before she got sick? What was she like as a sister?
1: So Leah and I, again, we were just a year and a half apart and just were really inseparable our whole life. And our, our upbringing, you know, we kind of were in this, you know, little, but mighty, crazy Greek family and a lot of crazy dynamics going on growing up. And so she and I literally survived a lot of different things with humor. I mean, we just, we had humor in everything. We had our, like I said, we had our own secret language. We had an imaginary brother. It was funny because Greek was our first language that we spoke in the home then we would kind of have this four-way crosstalk in English and Greek um, at the dinner table. If my mom and dad would be sitting there talking in Greek, then we would just, she and I would look at each other and make, you know, funny faces and just sort of teasing. But anyway, but so humor, it was huge. We always loved to laugh together and your mom was just hy- hysterical. But really what made up Amalia was finding the love of her life at a pretty young age and getting married, um, even though she went on to finish her degree, she had not even, she. it was after her junior year in uh, college and your dad graduated from the Naval Academy. So they truly had one of those beautiful love stories, which is another reason why it's just so painful. I've always been so happy for my sister to find the love of her life and have four be- awesome kids. And you know, looked forward to being grandmas together, which we didn't really, your mom was here for Liam, but in not in the way that she would have you and I know. And if you could describe her heart, it would just, I would, I would describe it as an, a ginormous open door. I mean, that was your mom. And, and as much as she loved outwardly, she just always had open arms for anyone to come on inside and laugh and be loved and. Made to feel special. She was just my greatest cheerleader. Whenever I had doubts about being able to do anything, she always, it's the same way that she was with you kids. Like she would say, you can do anything you put your mind to. And, and she made, she made you believe it. You know, she made, she made me believe it. It's really hard to put into words the light and, and she always Always, always, always had such a positive attitude about everything and self-deprecating. And something I miss so much, Maria, is your mom and I used to just love to share our love for reading. And we would we would read a book and then tell, tell each other about it. And then, of course, I'd have to read the same favorite book that she read. And then we would talk about that. And she just, she loved anything having to do with the home and just, you know, all things kids. So yeah, and she was a kind of kid that just followed the rules. Of course, you know she was a person of very deep and devout faith, and she always had the name of Jesus on her lips, and and she had the word blessing on her lips, and she was very very faithful to God and faithful to doing the right thing. Um, just very pure of heart, and um, very very unselfish, and just um, couldn't have had a better more loving big sis than your mom and um gosh I kind of wish I was more like her the more I the more I think about her and talk about her I you know she's she's someone who you you talk about looking up to your you know your big sister and um it's really hard to even describe the degree to which I did
0: that Rachel you're having a hard time I know am I like the most emotional one my (laughs) lord (laughs) Well, talk I, I want—I want to know what what really struck you. Sorry,
2: don't be sorry. I don't know if it's—it's it's just really sweet the way that you talk about her. I think it's too. Like, I look at my kids, you know, and I think like they're nineteen months apart, and I hope that they feel this way. They will. They I will. Mean, They, like, pretty much kill each other, like, all day, every day, so. They're boys. I know, but (laughs) does it ever end? Anyway, um, I don't know. I don't know why this one is so hard. Probably, too, because, like, I know you, and I know Mm -hmm. how you are, and hearing the way your mom was, like, you're her. Yep.
1: Yeah, Maria's
0: a lot. Well, as you're describing things,
2: I'm like, oh, that's me. Oh, that was me as a kid, Mm -hmm. too. Totally. (laughs) I mean rule follower like to a T. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I'm like, let's pay people to follow us on Instagram. And Maria's like, no, we can't do that. I'm like Damn it. so so, speak, so speaking of speaking of following the rules. So I
1: so your mom and this is the other bit about, about her as a child that I have to Speak to So I was I was a sass mouth of, of the two of us. Your mom was always respectful to our parents, and even if she, if she was mad at any either of them, it would she would never do it to their face. She would just complain about it when they weren't around. But she was always she was a yes girl. She would she was obedient, and she was a yes girl. But it wasn't that she never like if she ever did bend or break a rules. Like let's say when we were in high school, my dad didn't like us to wear makeup, so she she might she might have taken some um makeup and and hid it in her purse and then put it on in the bathroom at school before and then washed it we're going on that may have happened that was like
0: the only thing did, she ever did you know and so that's
1: even when she was bad she was good okay right. so and then, of course, I would be in trouble all the time <laughs> because I would just I would just be a sass about it instead of being smart, like, saying, oh, yes, daddy, that's fine. And then taking, you know, the lip oh gloss God. to school that's and so stuff.
2: Good. Right.
1: So that's kind of a di- that's like a little bit how we were uh, yin and yang, like we were a little different. But I remember, like, if I ever did something really bad that I wasn't supposed to do, she would tell my parents and I would be <laughs> like. So she would tell them because she was always looking out. She didn't want me to, you know, do something stupid or bad and especially a oh, could rejoin the same sorority. And, and of course she had to constantly keep me out of trouble when we were in college, but she'd tell her parents. So I remember every time when we were kids, every time she would do that, I'd get in trouble. I'm like, next time you break a rule, I'm telling on you. And I would, I would just tell myself I'm going to do it. And I never did. I never <laughs> was able to, I don't know why. I don't know why I just couldn't do it. I couldn't. Oh I couldn't God. tell She's on her. Sweet. She was That's too yeah. sweet. Yeah, she was. And it's like, I, I just don't know. Pro- probably because I knew it's like, yeah, she really doesn't deserve it because she like <laughs> does the right thing all the time. So <laughs> I just would never, I would always swear to myself I was gonna tell her and tell her and get her in trouble. And I I never I don't even then, think I did it one time.
2: I really oh don't. Yes. <laughs> we have two, two of our favorite parts. One, the letter. And two, we can do this one first. How do you think Leah would like to be remembered? I
1: believe that Leah, first and foremost, would want to be remembered as a loving wife and a loving mom. That really was her whole world. And your dad said at the funeral that no man has ever been more loved than he was by his wife. That is a very true, very true statement. And no children have ever been more loved. Maybe as, but not more. And I know that that would be what she'd want to be remembered for. I also believe that her devotion to her love of art and sharing all of that with the world would be something that would really make her so happy to be remembered for. And what's so awesome. And just think about the fact that even though your mom lost her ability to communicate and eventually this dreaded disease took her life, you have all of these beautiful blog posts and her writing and her art everywhere to be able to just still have that part of her And to get to know her that way and her, her thoughts and her feelings and the way she saw the world. And it's always so positive and joyful and beautiful. And just think about some of us, I really believe that we can go through life and just be bitter and negative. And what an example your mom has left for us to accepting the good of every day and looking at the positive things, going outside, enjoying nature, doing art, being with the people that you love, talking with the people that you love and just having that positive spirit. And even when your mom was robbed of her ability to speak, she was always smiling and always reaching out and touching your face. And um, I I believe that that that's just who she was on the inside. And that's what she was still communicating even without words. So that is who I really believe she would want to
2: be remembered as. That's sweet. Sounds like someone I know. So now can you read some of
0: Amalia's words? I mean, I'm sure you had thousands of emails and letters and things that you could have gone through. So I cannot wait to hear what you have chosen to read.
1: Well, I have two bits actually. I'm hoping that you can bend the rules for Pia since we have <laughs> our relationship that we had and then I can have so one one short piece. It is from emails, you're correct. We that is how we used to always communicate when we wanted to share things that we couldn't talk about over the phone such as
2: recipes and I thought you were going to say what we can't share on the phone, like if we wanted to talk about our kids or our <laughs> <That's what> I, <laughs> I'm like, Oh, it's going to be good. <laughs> so this message
1: is from February 17th, 2007. And I was living in West Virginia at the time, and I just got in a new car. And so I emailed your mom and she wrote me back and she says, Well, all right, so excited about your new wheels, and I've been wanting to talk to you with a bunch of exclamation points. I miss you. Great job on the shindig, and that meant my new job. Anywho, Ria is home, all cat. prize to us a few days ago, she called and wanted to come home for the long weekend as the brothers K were busy. I was, of course, thrilled, and we had to tell Bruno to pipe down about quote-unquote learn-to-live-away-at-college speech. I mean, how can you possibly tell your child, the flesh of your womb, all cats, not to come home? Do men understand it? I think not. He is a very good man, so I must not complain. We all know he is a teddy bear. Under all that tough exterior.
0: Had to to go on mute for that one. (laughs) Who's Bruno? That's what she called my dad. (laughs) Why? I don't know. Do you know why? He was called so he
1: was called Bruno and my hubby is Bruno Junior. And then they turned into the Brune, because she had to abbreviate (laughs) everything. But yeah, that was just just one of her
0: funny nicknames for everybody. (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) and this
1: last one it'll be hard to get through it's not very long it demonstrates the loss that I have of my biggest cheerleader and fan and best friend and it is such a blessing to have been able to have a sister as a best friend so she wrote this to me July 16th 2005 I had sent her an article that I wrote for a magazine, and she wrote me Slow Person. See, there's another nickname S L O, not S L O W, but she called me Slow. Slow Person. Wow, that is an amazing article. It's beyond my cerebral abilities at times, being that the most intellectual magazine I get to these days is country living. And that is mostly couples decorating their cottage at the beach. I am highly impressed. It's amazing that you can write about something you haven't even studied until you get the topic. You can write your own magazine. You definitely have a way with words and are an excellent writer. You could teach. Write a book, etc., with the talent and skills you have. I know you will do that in the future when the time is right. Love you so, so much. Your sis and best friend, Leah. Bye.
0: If you'd like to make a donation to the With Love campaign, you can do so by clicking the link on our website, remembermeftd.com. You can donate directly to Sophia's page in honor of my mom, Leah, or you can donate to our Remember Me podcast team. You can also find the link on our Instagram at Podcast. For more information about the AFTD, you can visit their website, theaftd.org. You can also reach out to them on their helpline by calling 866-507-7222. You can also send them an email at info at theaftd.org. We release new episodes each week on Mondays, so be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. This podcast is produced by Maria Kent Beers and Rachel Martinez and the beautiful music you hear is a song called So Damn Lucky by Bailey Kent.